You're listening to Intentional Optimists, the podcast for unconventional leaders, where you'll find inspiration, learn to discover and develop your own strengths, and hear from inspiring women just like you who are making a difference in their community. Who knows, you just might find yourself stepping up as the next unconventional leader right where you are. I'm your host, Andrea Johnson, the original Intentional Optimist. Welcome to episode 98. If you worked remotely during the COVID pandemic shutdown, are you back in the office? Do you feel like your own productivity fared better or worse based on where you were? Well, believe it or not, studies show that working remotely at least part of the time, even just a few days a month, can increase your productivity by up to 77%. Less interruptions, fewer meetings, and increased accountability, yep, you heard that right, increased accountability are just a few of the things that account for that giant number. I had a staff member who did not want to go remote during COVID do a complete about face when she realized how much work she got done without people constantly stopping by her desk. Well, today's guest, Marianne Snow, has made it her life's work to help companies optimize productivity as a remote work and distributed team leadership expert. Her two companies, Sophia and the Remote Nation Institute, address both sides of the equation, the company structure, leadership, and technology, and educating and building the skills of the employees. To say I was excited to have this conversation is an understatement, and I can't wait for you to listen. It's packed with leadership wisdom, practical guidance, and even an option for you if you're tired of being told to, quote, come back to work. Meet my new friend, Marianne Snow. Hey there, Marianne. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Andrea, for having me. You know, when you reached out to me, um, I took one look at your profile and you had me at remote. <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, one has to be a bit of an optimist, I think, to be, be a, a long-term remote um, professional. And <laughs> um, uh, so that was what immediately drew me to, drew me to you. Well, I tell you, I can't wait to hear um, how you got there, but I would love for our guests to hear, I mean, for our listeners to hear a little bit about your story, who you are and where you come from and what you do now that is, like I said, remote, that is so unique and different because that's a hot topic in the United States right now. You know, it's interesting because I started my remote journey in the 90s. And um, uh, at the time that I got started, I was um, uh, working with technology that was pretty antiquated, something that you would think of, because uh, in order to be able to get your, your face out, I was actually going into a television studio recording on VHS tapes, putting it into an envelope. Can you imagine this? Putting it in an envelope, sealing it up, taking it to the post office and sending it out um, to people all over the United States. Because I had a team of people who were uh, across the continental U.S. So having uh, platforms that we have now that are at my disposal In my current work, it's just, there's no uh, comparison because, you know, I was doing video conferencing um, when video conferencing wasn't a thing. The only tool was Skype. You couldn't do groups. 
So, um, you know, there's, it's just, um, it's a world of difference. I've watched the evolution. I've been completely fascinated by it. And um, I, I just, I love the environment because it makes me a global citizen. I get to work with yeah. all sorts of folks, even though I'm a very small company now, instead of working in larger companies, I can still have global reach. Well, let's just get a definition of what you actually do. What does your company do? Tell us about your company. So we have a, a company that has two components. So FIA is our business-to-business um, -business consulting company, and we help organizations optimize productivity in um, remote or distributed team environments. And so if you've got a remote workforce, if you have a distributed team force, and that just means that they're not sitting in the same place, we can help you with team engagement. We can also help you with team productivity. And the second component is the Remote Nation Institute. And this is looking at the skills that are required to be highly successful in an environment where you have to build relationships, you have to encourage productivity, and you have to do it primarily at a distance through technology. Um, it's a different set of skills. It's a, a different approach, not only to the leadership and, and management end of things, but also to the individual contributor end of things. Well, as somebody who managed people in March of 2020 yep. and had a team of 13, that doesn't sound like a big team, but when they're administrative assistants and grants administrators and fiscal techs and clinical research coordinators, when I was tasked with moving them all off grounds, off campus to work, um, some had the skills and some did not. A yes. year and a half later, even though we had bought cameras for everybody, some were still not on camera. Yep. And um, so <laughs> just that awareness that <laughs> it's not just handing someone the technology and it makes it work, right? It's the skill set. I love that you, you not only do you say, here's how you set up Joe okay. company. Um, here's the, how you do it. Here's the technology. Here's the best practices. By the way, your people also need to be trained because yes. so many times the reason why it doesn't work. And I, that's basically what I was told is this isn't working. And I'm like, but you haven't trained any of these people. And you know, that got falls on deaf ears when it's a very large organization because the needs of the many will outweigh the needs of the few or the needs of the powerful will outweigh the needs of the not powerful. But um, so which one started first, the training or the setting up of the organizations? Well, um, it actually what started first is uh, I was working in international financial services and I was working on a global basis. And so the scope of the projects that I was working on, Andrea, was... Um, you know, I had to figure out ways to connect 28,000 people in 32 countries across, across 11 lines of businesses in a highly regulated uh, industry. And, um, uh, and so not only um, did I get exposed to technology that was coming into the market early, and I was working with Microsoft's um, uh, SharePoint uh, uh, team, as Microsoft was simply a beta version at that point. So they weren't even um, a, a full-fledged promoted product. Um, they were just something that was really on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, in that environment, we were really, really fortunate because I had a, a big budget, which meant I could play. Oh, I yeah. had a lot of opportunity to really kind of think about what can we do um, if we have the capital to be able to invest in an infrastructure and what does that infrastructure look like? So it really started in, um, as I mentioned, the 90s, the 2000s, and I was in a corporate setting right up until 2009 when um, during the financial crisis, they were defunding all of the really fun projects that I was working on that were the things that could actually make the future better. Right. 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 And um, so we had um, uh, not only been setting up the infrastructure and the operating models, but uh, we also launched a, a global learning university that was um, serving the needs on the education side. So we were really looking at it. I was my team and I were looking at it holistically. Mm. Um, and when I left in um, 2009, and I really left because all the fun stuff was going away. So I said, you know, geez, this is the rise of digital media. You know, what's going to happen next? So I left corporate America. I went into higher ed and for three years, I taught um, uh, digital media marketing, uh, digital media business, and was really at the, the vanguard of what was happening with the new technologies that were being introduced. And that was just, I, I had so much fun. It was just amazing. So, so how did you go from being like completely immersed in this whole digital technology to my understanding is that you start doing you started doing research on how teams needed to work remotely and what kind of transitioned you into that this is how we're going to make my own company and meet the needs of i'm going to assume smaller businesses um not necessarily i mean really? we work with we work with toyota um we work oh. with novartis we work okay. with um national insurance companies we work with healthcare um centers we work with uh, financial services. We've worked with um, international energy companies, okay. but we but we also work with small nonprofits. We work with school systems. We work with you name it. So this works across the board. Across the board. The yeah. principles. Imagine that universal principles. Universal principles. And think about it, because if you work in a very large company, the likelihood that you're going to sit in one place, right? I think um, the thing that the biggest thing, Andrea, is is um, you know, if you put it in the context of large organizations don't sit in the same physical location. And that got me really thinking about how are we defining uh, remote work, right? Remote work is not work from home. It is really, uh, we've come up with a standard definition and, and it comes down to three things. Remote um, work has to do with you're not co-located. You're not sitting in the same physical space at the same time. Um, you tend to work towards a shared goal, but you're going to do most of your communicating and most of your work through technology. But there are people, Andrea, behind the teams, humans that have to work in these situations, manage in these situations, supervise in these situations, accomplish things in these situations, and they need the skills to do it. Yeah. And I think that this is, 
so desperately needed. And um, I am so excited. I get to talk to you who's actually doing this. So <laughs> clearly this is something I am passionate about. I mean, it literally, I famously, this is the reason I left my corporate job. Mm-hmm. Because after having success in doing this and knowing full well that I could manage my team and that my team could manage well um, in a situation where literally there just isn't enough room, right? I mean, you were in the Boston area or are you still? I mean, it just so I'm in Providence, Ron. I was based okay. in Boston, but now I don't have a commute. It's oh, so nice. nice. <laughs> well, but you know, I was in Baltimore for years and now I'm in a, a smaller university town, but space is limited, right? It's when I was at Johns Hopkins, it was like constant, just gobbling up pieces of the city, looking for more place to put people because you, you want a university like that to grow. You want institutions to grow, but with no space, and telling people we don't have space to put anybody, you know, it's like, we don't have space to put faculty members, let alone staff, right. but yet you have to come back on grounds. And, and it was basically, it wasn't actually said straight out, but it was almost, or lose your job or find someplace else to work. Right. And I read between the lines and said, okay, well, I can do that. I've been, I've been kind of figuring out how I might could do that anyway. Cause I was, but that was my thing. So for me, championing this whole idea is really, I think is, is important. And I think, um, I I love that, that this is the way that you've chosen to make a difference in the world and you clearly are a leader in this area. So let's actually talk about some, some of the aspects of leadership that it takes to do stuff like this. Um, because you shared some really interesting things with me. Um, I have a wonderful, questionnaire. And I never know that I ask guests to fill out and I've gotten everything from so-and-so's assistant filled it out. And I don't know how to answer these questions to like tomes. And, um, so some of them are just really, really, um, helpful. And one of the answers that you gave is that you've never been a command and control type of leader, but you ask people to stay curious and keep learning. Is that like a basic concept in the way you teach in this, um, remote nation Institute? It is because um, you know, we've developed some really fundamental principles around an accountability cycle, which requires everyone to assume respon- adult responsibilities. And uh, whether we're talking about... <laughs> Should we have uh, to say that? Yes, I guess. Adult re- <laughs> And I think that's an important concept because, you know... Um, and I'll give you a very, uh, a, a very um, interesting experience I just had. I went to my first ne- in-person networking event um, in support of a friend of mine. And I walked in and it happened to be, uh, you know, uh, the majority male. And the testosterone in the room, the testosterone in the room was, uh, was off the charts. And part of that was you know, um, now we're together. Now we can visibly show each other who's the big cheese and who's not the big cheese, who matters and who doesn't matter. And um, I I was amused by it because part of what happens when you're working in distributed teams is everybody's got to take accountability for themselves. And that means that um, collaboration has a, a, a different focus. That means getting the work done becomes the focus Right. And now you're going to evaluate based on performance as opposed to some of the other measures that are that are used in an office. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, our accountability cycle is set up where 
it starts with um, very practical steps. Uh, you know, what do you expect of me? And what can I expect of you? And then once we've set expectations, then um, how are you going to hold me accountable, you know, as my boss, but how are you going to hold yourself accountable to what you told me you were going to do? And now it's shared responsibility. So how do we elevate people's ability to have resilience, um, uh, to be their best selves? And once you do that, then things like, um, is it necessary that we work nine to five? Or is it okay if I take my dog for a walk? Um, can I come on Zoom and have my kitty cat and my kid on my lap at the same time? And, you know, so uh, ironically, I think that COVID allowed us to be able to bring person, our personal selves. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, I've, I mentioned I've been doing this for a really long time. I've in, literally interviewed people all over the world um, uh, who have engaged in this type of work for, for extended periods. And the majority of, of the world has actually been on board with this stuff um, long before the United States has. And um, frankly, um, you know, the, the plain fact is, is that um, when it comes right down to it, uh, you know, people who are successful at remote work tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Um, uh, people who live in an office who tend to look at things in relation to if you're out of sight, you must be Not screwing okay. off. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And they tend to over romanticize the office because they assume line of sight equates to productivity, which we know it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we also know that um, people who are uh, going to fool around in an office are going to fool around at home. Right. So, so it's like so if they're working hard at the office. Yeah. If they're working hard at the office. And that's what I found is that my staff were all basically good, hard workers at the yeah. office. Yeah. So what I discovered was that they were putting in more hours at home because they were like constantly looking over their shoulder, con concerned that somebody was going to think they were goofing off. And I'm like, you have to turn off your phone. Here's I'm answering phone calls at 10 o'clock at night. Why? You wouldn't do that if you were at the office. I know, but and I'm like, no, turn it off. Right. And so yeah. I literally had conversation after conversation with the people above me about the simple fact that if you don't trust them at home, why do you trust them at the office? And it turns out they didn't trust them at the office either. And which was crazy because you could actually see that things were happening and getting done. And um, so how do you work with companies? Do, do, well, let me rephrase the, the question. Do any companies come to you who are interested in making the remote working or hybrid working, whatever situation better, but just are desperate to have a better mindset about it? Or are they all just like sold and they just want your help to get it done? You know, it's interesting because not everyone is our client. Uh, and True. I think that that's um, really important that you understand that um, we work with folks who see the value, right? Okay. And, yeah. and they are trying to move their teams to a, a better place of productivity and also maintain engagement long-term. So I'll give you a, a specific example. We work with a, a national insurance company that tend to be very people-oriented. Mm 
And um, uh, we've been working with them on um, special projects for years and years and years. And they've never thought of themselves as remote work. They thought of themselves as kind of a distributed team model because they're national. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we started working with them because they were consolidating offices. And um, uh, when they consolidated offices, that meant that um, a boss was going to be in one place, uh, an employee was going to be in another place. And, and that was a that was a problem they didn't know how to handle. So we were actually working with them on that. And we, our conversations started to span not only the operational structure, not only um, some of the, the uh, talent management considerations, but it also spanned um, the leadership skills, right? As well as mm -hmm. the, the employee skills. Mm -hmm. So they were um, not sold on remote work, but they were understanding of the fact that from a practical perspective, if you have a boss in one place and you have an employee in another place, it, there are um, different variables. And um, we worked with them for two years without ever saying the word remote work until COVID That's impressive. <laughs> and because we just talked about distributed teams and we talked yeah. about uh, things that were relevant to them. But when COVID hit, we took all the principles, all the work that we had done, and they sent 4,000 people home in less than three weeks. Mm -hmm. And they never skipped a beat, Andrew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. productivity wise, all of this sort of thing. And now they're struggling with the fact that their people don't want to come back to work. And many employers are struggling with this. And here's the thing. The thing is that um, trying to force people back into the office after they just spent two and a half years being productive, being effective, when all the social structures, structures were gone, when they had to homeschool their kids, when going to the grocery store was hard, when daycares were down, and now you're telling me you don't trust me, um, it's insulting to your best Thank employees. You. Thank you. And I, you said the phrase that just literally sets my hair on fire. You need to come back to work. And I'm like, are you saying that for that we none of us have been working? Right. And and you know they they would always oh but, that, but, that, but that's not what I meant. You mean I mean back in the office? No, no. You said what you meant. You know, and yeah. so before we move into, because you already touched on it, specific leadership stuff, but before we move into that really quick, um, what about these bigger companies that are hauling all these people back in? I mean, even Elon Musk is like hauling them all back in. It just, of all the people in the world, I don't know if we can speak to any of that and we probably don't have any bounds, you know, we need to say it in our lane, but the big companies that are doing this that have access to all this technology and should, if they can send somebody to the moon, why can't they understand that people can work remotely? I don't understand. And I think it's really difficult for the people sitting in the desk that they've curated for the last two years at their right. house. How do we understand that? How do we reframe that? Well, um, uh, you may not know this, but Elon Musk is actually backpedaling already because oh, um, uh, he's backpedaling already because many of his um, most talented people are saying, fine, we'll leave. <laughs> and um, uh, and so appreciate that 
that okay. if you've got leadership that is going to stake out a position without strategically thinking about the implications and tying it to what's happening in the world today from a talent management and talent retention point of view, then here's what's going to happen, Andrea. What's going to happen is big company, small company, you force people into a situation. Um, you're either going to turn them into bad employees bitter employees, or you're going to um, force them out the door. And, wow. and that's absolutely fine because I've got a portfolio of clients that will hire you in a second um, and do it with flexibility <laughs> and value you. So yeah. um, that was uh, my next question. Eat, uh, so <laughs> fine. My clients, my um, folks, my tribe in my community will um, eat your lunch and, you know, um, appreciate it will have impacts long term. Okay. So y'all listening here, if you're not happy with your current situation, Marianne's information is in the show notes. And she has a posse full of clients that are looking to hire people that want to be productive, that want to make a difference, that are willing to be flexible. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So y'all go find. Let's, so I used to say, I'd love to leave my job as the Pied Piper and just take all <laughs> these people with me. And, you know, I, I'm not a W-2 worker anymore. That's just not who I am. I've realized I'm an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of people who would follow a Pied Piper to another W-2 that would actually do it for them. So yep. this, I have literally I have cold chills all over me just because this is some of the best news I've heard in a really long time. Sometimes we just don't know what questions to ask or where to look. So. We're going to yep. send them in your direction. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I actually have a book coming out at the end of September called The Remote Work Handbook. And right. um, it not only from a business perspective, if you're a business owner, it talks to you about how to set up the infrastructure, some of the, um, uh, you know, just the, the uh, practical factors. It also talks about the operating model, talent management, and uh, the accountability cycle that I mentioned oh, to you great. earlier. Well, we will most certainly be interested in helping you promote that book. Yeah. Like I said, you had me at remote. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's shift gears and let's go way back to Marianne and your earliest as a leader, because, you know, you even said you're not really a march to my order or march to the beat of my drum kind of leader, but you are clearly a leader, especially in this kind of interesting field and you help other people develop leadership skills. So when you talk about or look back at your earliest leadership memory uh, that could explain kind of how you landed where you are today, what do you think of? Well, I can take you back from day one. I'm the, the oldest daughter of five children. So um, uh, I was immediately tasked with, um, uh, you know, um, sub-parent responsibilities, sure. right? The, mm -hmm. the adjunct parent responsibilities. And I think, um, you know, that made an impression on me because when you're coming from a large family and you happen to be the first in line and you also happen to be a daughter, then, you know, <laughs> you learn how to cook, uh, mm. you learn how to do domestic chores, but you also um, learn about logistics, but you also learn about, um, you know, taking care of, um, uh, you know, your team. And 
enlisting support because just mm. because I had the duty doesn't mean anybody's going to follow me unless uh, they decide to. <laughs> Literally just recorded a podcast about that. It's this whole idea of, do you just want people to follow you or do you want to lead them, right? Because yeah. you can't make people follow you. There is no cajoling or beating. It's like the beatings will continue until morale improves. Um, so at, we like oldest daughters around here. My, um, I'm an oldest daughter. My podcast producer is an oldest. Um, and um, so what does that, I mean, you said it contributed to you uh, and your ability to enlist and all that kind of stuff, but what else did it contribute to your career? Is it contributed to a mindset that you have? part of it was um, decisiveness, right? And okay. um, understanding that you could make decisions and um, and they they needed to be to be um, made in a way that um, would afford other people an opportunity to participate. But at some but at some point, somebody's going to make a decision so things can move forward. And um, you know, so when you're time pressed, you're trying to get things done, but at the same time, you want to enlist um, uh, engagement, then, you know, it's a fine line. I, you know, let's face it, Andrea, I, you know, dictating to your point is, you know, command and control is long dead. It never worked anyway, mm. but, um, you know, but people were more compliant, but we've hit a societal inflection point where try and be command and control with a, a, a younger generation coming into the workforce right at this particular point in time, not going to be very effective. No. no. Um, uh, and it really wasn't effective with most of us, but um, we were socialized in a way that um, I think we were more, um, we were more accepting um, sure. than we are today. So um, it's just a different time. And I think um Success breeds success. Once you get into mm. a work situation and, you know, even as a young person who was going to college, you know, waitressing on the side because I put myself through school. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you're in waitressing and um, somebody says we need somebody to train new people. And guess what? You know, make Marianne do it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and then it just sort of snowballs. There's a messy situation. Who's going to fix the problem? And so the more that you, mm. the more that you apply those skills and the more that you are seeing results from the skills that you're applying, the more they reinforce. And then you build on that and, and it just gets more and more complicated as um, your career moves forward. I was just talking with someone the other day and they said, I was reminded, they said, when you get into a higher place, you only have bigger problems. But yes. the nice thing is you've gotten to that higher level where you already know how to solve the bigger problem. So it's not, you know, and, and it's good to have challenging things, but that's just a really great way to say it. The more you apply the principles, the more principles you have to apply <laughs> and the more <laughs> things come up for you. And um, I love how that kind of, you kind of followed through with the, the waitressing thing and learning how to teach and learning. We, a lot of times we think, oh man, those were wasted years. Or I look back and, and say, why did I spend 23 years in corporate? I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Well, the things I learned in corporate taught me how to do what I do now, taught me where I, to, how to be who I am now and what I'm doing. Um, yeah, and I think part of that's recognizing life lessons, right? Uh, yeah. You know, um, when I was a waitress, I, I um, 
you know, obviously didn't necessarily necessarily see the value of that until you talk to the busboy who mm. sits there and says, I can't, you know, geez, I wish I could be a wait person because, you know, um, uh, at least you get tips or at least mm. you get to do this. And, and it starts to impress upon you that there's already always someone looking at you who is saying, I wish, I wish. And, mm. and I think for me personally, because Many of my years, I was the only woman in the room. So I was, uh, I was getting more senior. I was taking on more leadership responsibilities, but I had a role model role because I was the only woman in the room, but I was the only woman at the room at the enterprise level. So suddenly every woman in the company would know who I was just by virtue of the fact that if the leadership team walks in, there are, you know, 15 people looking the same and me, and I didn't look the same Um, pros and cons to that. Right. So I always said to myself, you know, if this is the case, then I can't change what I can't change, but how do I leverage it? How do I take Mm -hmm. advantage of this? But how do I accept responsibilities that come with it? I love that. It sounds like you take role modeling very seriously. I, I, I um, learned that from a very young age. People watch what you do. And um, yes, I think it's really important because I think that um, if you are fortunate enough and um, smart enough to move forward, then appreciate you have a, a choice. You can you can um, do it in a way um, that provides a, a good avenue for people to follow in your footsteps, um, or you can um, take on a different role. And I know that I've had plenty of bosses who've taught me things in a negative way, but um, I, I prefer to be the person who says, you know, um, rising tides lift all boats. I literally used that quote in my last podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seriously. I, yeah. Well, and, and I, that can be applied in so many ways. Um, but I just, I, I love that you have a choice when you're in that kind of role to provide an avenue for others to follow. I love that. Um, Cause you know, it's like, we want to say people want to follow in our footsteps. But when I think of Avenue, I think of a beautiful tree lined street that's smooth and that, that a 14 or 15 year old could learn to drive on and because it's wide and there's no cars and it's easy to walk down. And I, so I appreciate the wording that you use there a lot. And I, that beautiful picture, at least it's the picture created in my mind. <laughs> So um, as a leader, um, I'm sure you have one of these because you seem very intentional and very thoughtful, but almost every leader has some kind of a principle that they operate by. Do you have a principle that kind of helps you stay in this bigger place of service on a daily basis? I work with a plan, but I um, work with an eye to the future. Uh, And so um, I am saying to myself, if I'm going to act in a particular way, how does that contribute to, to forward movement? How does that contribute positivity to the circumstance? And so consciousness, mindfulness, deliberateness, but also um, really kind of tying it to what I'm trying to accomplish long-term because um, we all know it's, it's really fun to dream, 
But we also know as um, folks who have been entrepreneurs, startup people who have gone from, um, have had success in corporate America, but also now have to build ourselves up from the bootstraps. Mm -hmm. It's very different. Um, Mm -hmm. Very, very different. And if you want to accomplish something, that means you got to connect your daily actions with your longer term goals. Absolutely. And this is, you'd think you'd read my tenets or something, the tenets of intentional optimism, because <laughs> this falls right in there with optimistic, you know, being able to look at the future and see the hope, but also having, a, being very intentional about it. You've got to have a plan. If you don't have a map, you know, who leaves their house anymore without maps or ways or whatever, because we need to know where we're going. Nobody pulls out, you know, like Clark, um, in America, you know, the vacation movies, you know, it's like when he pulls out the big map and it covers the entire windshield, nobody does that anymore. We know where we know we're going and we trust that we technology is going to get us there. Why don't we do that in our decisions for our lives? Why don't, you know, and and it, it, there's always abilities to re there's the opportunity to reroute, but, um, to not have some kind of a plan. Um, I love that. I work with a plan, but with an eye to the future, um, and that's just, that's really smart. Um, and that, well, do you have a habit or anything that helps you kind of stay in that mindset on a daily basis? There's uh, a couple of things. I tend to be an early bird. So I get up and um, really that first uh, um, couple of hours is kind of a reflection time. Um, and that's my time to kind of gather myself and really kind of think about what the priorities are, but also to reflect what um, have we accomplished so far? Are we on task? Are we not on task? Um, you know, what's coming up? Um, how am I going to um, prepare for that? Because, you, you know, the other thing too, sense of humor and flexibility, right? Because um, uh, no matter how good your plan is, you need plan A and plan B and plan C and plan D and flexibility and, you know, not getting too flapped when um, things don't go quite according to your dictates. Absolutely. Um, Being able to be in the words in the, in the product and project management world, you know, be an agile, right? It's like being able to take feedback at regular intervals. And with you doing that daily reflection, I do much of the same. I do it on a weekly, a daily basis, on a weekly basis, monthly, quarterly. And then, you know, um, because otherwise I can get, I know myself, I could get completely lost in the clouds. And as an entrepreneur who is, I am still in my first year of getting everything completely launched. It's so easy to do that. And if I don't look at where I've been, and I mean, there's still, I'm still throwing a little bit of spaghetti against the wall here, right? So there's a few things that I'm choosing to say, oh, okay, well, upon reflection, not so much. And um, this looks like a really good avenue. I'm going to go down that one. So um, I think that's that's really, really helpful. Um, so as we start to wrap things up, you know, in in our world, it's very easy for people to talk about red flags, things that yeah. we, oh, if I had seen that red flag, and boy, we've done that before. I had no, if I'd seen those red flags, we would never have whatever, right? Why didn't I see those? Or I saw them and I just didn't do anything with them. But on here, we like to talk about green flags, what we're looking for in ourselves that will help us step into that bigger place. And it's always interesting um, when I talk to different guests, because not many people are going to start a company like yours. Um, But 
figuring out which kind of green flags we want to share, because I want people to be able to look at, oh, this is the type of personality I have that makes it easy for me to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. What have you got for us? Do you think? There's a couple of things. I think, you know, um, staying curious and, um, and accepting that you can't know everything, um, really kind of battling against perfectionism in the sense that um, we live in a really complicated world. And um, if you're going to make it today, you need to accept your own um, skill sets and bring your skill sets to the table, but um, be confident in your skill sets, even though you don't know everything, which means and I can give you a very specific example. So um, recently, I was fortunate enough to become part of a, a group of people who will be um, doing a project with NASA. And um, I don't know anything about NASA. I've never been on a rocket ship other than, you know, maybe in my, you know, imagination somewhere. <laughs> and so now I'm coming to um, conversations with vocabulary, mm. with um, uh, different contexts than I've ever seen before. And it's really easy to get overwhelmed. But, um, you know, if I um, uh, got overwhelmed, then that means I'm going to go into that circumstance shut down. I'm not going to be open to learning. I'm not going to be curious about things. I'm not going to focus on my skill sets or my skill set. I will apply them appropriately to this right. circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um and not get overwhelmed by the fact that there are lots of things I'll need to learn along the way because yeah. I have a track record of success. I need to bring that track record of success with me and not be intimidated by new contexts. Oh my gosh, that is so important. Um, it, and even just this shout out to anybody who wants to leave their, I must be in the office kind of job to remote work. There's still a plenty to learn there. And oh God, I'll, yeah. I'll bet there is a learning curve for, I've been in this industry for as many years as, you know, for like, for me, I was in that specific industry for 23 years. How do I tell these other companies, I have these skills, they just look like they're specific. Um, so I love that. Don't get overwhelmed by all the things you need to learn because you have a track record of success because you've been doing something already. Yeah. There's more universal themes than um, we care to, to um, admit. And as somebody who has had an opportunity to work with a wide variety of industries, companies, um, uh, different um, cultures, different um, countries, different regions. One of the things that I'll tell you is that, that we're more the same than you think. There are certain universal themes, no matter where you are. And if you adopt a um, global perspective and understand that everybody is just a friend you haven't met, and um, uh, yes. go to the, to the party, assuming positive intent, and not personalizing, um, uh, then you'd be amazed at what can happen. I love that. Everybody is just a friend you haven't met. Um, I many times um, quote Bob Goff where he says he has, I think he had a limited podcast, but I, I love him anyway. I'm not sure if you know who he is, but um, he's an author and um, he's just this amazing positive person. And he said, 
I only interview my friends on my podcast. And he, he had some pretty famous people in there. And I'm like, this guy's got some amazing friends. Until it dawned on me, every person he meets is his friend. And I'm like, oh, there you go. It's like, <laughs> he may not have met them before, but now they're his friend. And it's it's easy to see something in that context and say, oh, I get how you can do that. But you know, if we just say, everyone is a friend I haven't met yet, everyone wants to do well, everyone wants to succeed. Um, I think that's a great mindset to have. Well, think about it. Most people, most humans do not get up and look in the mirror and say, I'd like to fail today. That's, that's not typical. Nope. And, uh, and I think it's disingenuous for us as um, uh, in leadership roles um, to assume that um, even people who are having a bad day, even mm. people who are struggling, that um, that there are no redeeming qualities. Right. Because, you know, my view is, is um, you know, what's the larger context? Have we actually provided not only um, the expectations, but have we provided um, the, the training necessary so that the, the training and tools necessary so they can succeed, but have we also given them the skills and then have we provided them feedback and given them honest, open feedback so that they know where they stand in our heads in relation to other stuff. And if they, you know, if a person fails on my watch, then I got to know that, um, you know, I've done everything I can to contribute to their success but I'm going to hold people accountable to their adult responsibilities. And if they understand and we've done our best and they're still choosing, mm -hmm. um, uh, then, then this, I accept this. I accept that this could happen, but um, uh, at the same time, Maybe it's just not for them. Maybe I just need to place them someplace else and they'll be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have to condemn them as a human. Right. Right. And that's really easy to do, especially when we're being held to metrics or expectations that they have some kind of part in. And um, so, and part of that is just learning how to lead, right? That's a leadership role. And um, yeah. So, um, so before we close, um, where the best place to find you is going to be best place to find me is LinkedIn. Um, okay. or you can email me directly at M a snow at Sophia, S O P H A Y A.com. I'm excited about, um, future collaborations and all kinds of interesting stuff we're going to learn before we end here. We always ask our guests, what is the one thing you can always be optimistic about? Even when others may think you're crazy. Oh gosh. I think, um, the one thing that I can always be optimistic about is, um, in the darkest times, there is something that, um, you can see humor in, right? Um, you don't have to be a victim. And I think that um, uh, personal choice is probably the thing that, uh, that I always am very optimistic about. I can make a choice about how I view um, what's happening to me, what the circumstances, um, how I respond. And I have full control of that. There are many mm -hmm. things I have no control over, but mm -hmm. that's something I can control. So, so, on the heels of that, were you a jokester growing up? 
I mean, no. I see you, I hear you giggle and I hear you <laughs> chuckle. Um, so how has this humor showed up for you? Or is it just being able to see the humor? Uh, uh, and I was really very fortunate because um, I have a partner um, who he is, he's the jokes, more of the jokester in my family. Okay. But, but I can appreciate and uh, I may do the logistics and uh, <laughs> I may be the person who is um, keeping us on track, but he's the one making sure we have fun along the way. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so you may not be the one generating the humor, but I'm you the straight always man. Pre- oh, perfect. <laughs> so it's the pen and teller kind of thing. Right? I love it. Oh, th- you know what? This was a delightful conversation and it met all my expectations. And so that's the feedback I want to give, right? Um, and so, because I've been listening, and I really appreciate you. Did I leave anything out? Did we leave anything out? No. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, um, I am excited about your book coming out, and um, I hope that people will flock to you and your clients to help fill their um, their rosters with people who want to work in a remote way and be in a situation where they are trusted to do a good job and and cared for and honored in those types of situations. Thank you so much for your work. Well, uh, you know, that was, you asked what the inspiration was. That was the inspiration. I saw really, really talented, amazing people. Um, I had them on my team. I had them as colleagues. I felt Mm -hmm. that way myself. And um, they um, were always undervalued. And and I um, kept saying to myself, this is an untapped resource. Mm -hmm. Um, This is, you know, untapped potential. And it's only going to get bigger because companies more complicated than they were before and and now you just have to do it um through different means but look at you you're making friends differently you've made this transition yeah you're transmitting um (laughs) you know and communicating in completely new and different ways well, and I hope that I am lifting up other women who are doing similar things and leading. I mean, it's called unconventional leaders for a reason. It's like, this is not the kind of stuff that we automatically think of. They're a leader, right? Because we use the word socially conditioned and are trained. And we have our own social conditioning that that does, we've been trained to think a certain way. And um, one of my goals is to help us think differently. And so I appreciate you and your contribution to all of that. And um, thank you so much for being on here today. My pleasure. You take care of yourself, Andrea, and I look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oh my goodness, we could have talked all day. Clearly, she and I see eye to eye. She truly is offering unconventional leadership to the world of work. Even as so many organizations are trying to hold on to what used to be, she's literally in the business of offering the future to any size company. Honestly, I have a hard time seeing how anyone would turn it down. But what I'd like to do here is point out how Mary Ann exemplifies the tenets of intentional optimism. Now, if you were paying attention, you heard her mention one key word after another. She's so in tune with this style of leadership, so the hard part is narrowing it down. But I do this for every guest because we all live unique and different lives. And while what we do is different, intentional optimism is how we do what we do. It's the attitudes and mindsets that we employ and embody to live out our own goals and dreams with excellence. So let's look at optimistic. Marianne is truly focused on the future. She has been since the early 90s. Oh my goodness, VHS tapes. 
in an envelope, mailed across the country. I'm shaking my head. Present. She says that staying curious has helped her give herself permission to insert herself into new and novel situations, which is where she discovered those universal themes that we talked about. They apply everywhere in life. Energetic? Oh my goodness, talk about creative solutions. Her companies are based on offering something new and different and helping people flourish as a result. For Courageous, she's one of the few people who feel the same way about accountability as I do. It helps build resilience. When you help others become more resilient, they can give their best to the situation or the project. And Wise, she knows that what she does isn't for every organization, but she curates respect by modeling what she believes will help in the future. And intentional, Marianne is a planner, and you know I love me a good plan, but she made it clear that her plans always have an eye on the future. She regularly reflects and adjusts to ensure that her plan will get her where she wants to go. Marianne is unconventional in her leadership because her passion to offer a different, yet more productive work model for any size organization is a reflection of her core values of things like curiosity, the value of a good team, and positivity, which make her a great role model for women who want to make a difference in their work and career, even if they're the only woman in the room. Unconventional leaders lead at every level, in any area, using their unique gifts. Now, what aspect of Marianne's story inspires you? Is it that she has always worked on the cutting edge? Maybe it's that she truly understands the value of every position she's been in because she understands that somebody's always looking at her thinking, I wish, right? Is that the kind of leader you want to be? If so, let's chat. If you need a greater understanding of your own strengths and skills or just a gentle accountability group to keep you focused on your own plan with an eye on the future, all my information is in the show notes. So hop on my calendar for a 30-minute consultation and let's get you a strategy in place. Are you ready to work in a more remote or flexible way? You need to take her up on that. She gave out her email address on the air and all her contact information is in the show notes. If you'd like to hear more from her, she and I will be live the week this episode airs on my guest speaker series. The YouTube channel link is in the show notes, so even if you don't catch it then, you can catch it on the replay. Of course, gifting us with a five-star rating and review will help other women find this podcast, but even better, share it with that friend you know needs to hear this episode. Until next time. Hey, thanks for spending your precious time with us today. If you love this podcast and find it to be uplifting and helpful, follow us or subscribe. Then please take a moment and leave a review and one of those amazing five-star ratings. You can also snap a screenshot right where you listen, share it to social media and tag me. This helps others find us and will have an even bigger impact. If you're curious what it would be like to work more closely with me, or to step up as an unconventional leader yourself, schedule a free discovery session and we'll chat. But maybe you're an entrepreneur looking for a support team. I'd like to personally invite you into my collaborative community, Launch from the Beach. It could be just what you're looking for. All of my contact information and all the links are included in the show notes. And don't forget, you can always connect with other intentional optimists in our Facebook community. You can follow my Facebook or Instagram page, or even connect with me on LinkedIn. Additionally, I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter, Optimistic Living. It's good stuff delivered straight to your inbox on a 
not-so-strict schedule, but always from the heart. Remember, unconventional leaders lead at every level, in any area, using their unique gifts. And you, my friend, are a leader. You are the future of leadership and the role models for future generations. Until next time.